From WNYC, this is Money Talking. I'm Charlie Herman. Last week, Central American migrants and U.S. law enforcement clashed along the U.S. border. U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agents fired tear gas at hundreds of people, including women and children, after some of them tried to force their way across the border between San Diego and Tijuana, Mexico. While that conflict took place thousands of miles from New York, it found its way here to perhaps a surprising place, the Whitney Museum. Two days after the clash, news broke that one of the museum's top board members owns the company that manufactures the tear gas used at the border. In response, more than 100 staffers at the museum wrote a letter demanding answers. The controversy has opened up the Whitney to criticism and restarted a conversation about the role of money in the arts, especially when it comes from donors who you disagree with. With me to discuss this are Robin Pogrebin, reporter at the New York Times Culture Desk, and Rog Vartanian, editor-in-chief of the art news site Hyperallergic. And Rog, your site was the one that first reported this story. So how has the museum responded? Where do things stand? Well, the director, Adam Weinberg, came out with a letter that essentially said that the board doesn't choose the staff in the exhibitions and the staff should sort of like allow the board to do their own thing. And I think a lot of people were very angry because there was a real sense that they were let down by an institution they believed in. Because for many people may not know, the last couple of years, the Whitney's really worked towards this sort of mission of more equality and inclusiveness and social justice. They've had protest shows. So this is where, you know, I think the image that people had of the Whitney changing now it's, it's being undermined by this news where people are like going, wait a minute, maybe that was all just window dressing. Robin, if you step back from what's happening at the Whitney, is, is this a, an issue that institutions like museums face when they're taking money from wealthy individuals who align with ideas or are involved in companies that other people disagree with? This is sort of a perennial issue when the personal associations of trustees at the museum or whatever arts institution we're talking about clash with or sort of dovetail with what's in the news and current events and controversy. And so then these questions arise as to whether or not their allegiances should have some bearing on whether or not they belong at these institutions. The tough thing is that these people have a lot of money that comes with them, and it isn't so easy for arts institutions to part ways that readily with people who are supporting them. And how central, then, are these wealthy donors to the operations of some of these institutions that people love to go to here? With government funding always somewhat threatened and in decline, as well as philanthropic support, institutions are increasingly dependent on individual donors. They are the lifeblood of these institutions, which are always living somewhat hand-to-mouth. These are nonprofits. Um, They're always operating at something of of a loss. And so they are essential to the survival of these institutions. Rog, I guess this goes to the issue that the Whitney right now is under the microscope, but a lot of other museums have also been questioned about people who've made donations or are on their board, what Robin is talking about there. Should there be, can there be some sort of political litmus test? Well, I don't know if political litmus test is the way to go, but I do think there needs to be more transparency. And I think there needs to be a syncing up of the values the institution is suggesting that they champion and what they are actually doing and the type of people that they're sort of associating with and supporting. I think we're talking about like just wanting institutions to be upfront and actually consult the public. What is the track record for these kind of protests when it comes to changing shows or programming or getting a board member to even step down? 
There's one case here in New York that might be a good example, which is when protesters uh, descended on American Museum of Natural History and their Theodore Roosevelt statue in front of the museum. And specifically, a lot of people claim that it sort of represents white supremacy and are very, have been protesting the statue actually for decades. And those protesters, their first protest, the museum, you know, obviously was sort of shocked this was happening. But some of the educa- people in the education and other departments within the museum actually invited the protesters to listen to them because they realized there were some issues in the institution and they wanted to know how the public perceived them and what they believed were some of the issues. And that dialogue is still ongoing. When there's a protest at the Whitney over a board member or when there's a protest at the American Museum of Natural History, does that lead to change or is it sort of the status quo? Hey, we just, you know, we need to take the money where it comes from. Uh, Sorry, we'll listen to you, but we're going to keep on doing what we're doing. I think it's really important to note that this pool of donors who can contribute at the level that keeps these institutions alive is is limited. It's finite to some extent. There's only so many rich people. And so I think there is a real feeling that they're in competition with each other for these donors. There are only so many of these big guys to go around. You know, unfortunately, they're mostly guys. So I think it's really tough to be in this territory where you could potentially be looking a gift horse in the mouth. You know, I think we need to have talks about public funding of the arts more. And I think that really is, I mean, we have to think more big picture. All these are like little issues, really, at the end of the day. But the money has to come from somewhere. But then I also worry that attracting these big donors has also made museums into luxury institutions. And increasingly, we're going towards the luxury, you know, almost like places where people want to donate, you know, as opposed to the utility into the public. And I don't want them to sort of go away from their public mission to just become these jewel boxes of luxury. In many European countries, there is support for the arts, but here public funding is minimal. So is this just the dilemma that we face when it comes to paying for culture? I think it is now, um, but I do think that we have to, um, I also think there's a proliferation of these institutions and some of those institutions I think should be rewarded by including the public more and more rather than just appealing to a rich sort of elite. And so I think public money should be sort of more distributed to those institutions that make a bigger commitment to those issues. Do you know? So I don't think necessarily every institution should be treated the exact same. I think until we value culture for its economic development, for the way in which it changes lives, it's always going to be sort of an uphill battle for these institutions to make the case for themselves. There is no ongoing reliable support they can count on. And so as a result, we are dependent on these generous individuals, and New York is fortunate to have a lot of them. Until that changes and we just objectively value culture in an ongoing way and we don't worry about whether the NEA is going to cut its budget as it is, you know, these are their living hand to mouth. And to some extent, we're going to need rich people to keep them alive. Robin Pogrebin is a culture reporter for The New York Times, and Rog Vartanian is the editor-in-chief of the art news site Hyper Allergic. Thank you both for joining. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Charlie Herman. This is Money Talking from WNYC. 